Today's guest on my podcast is Barbara Hemphill, a daughter of the farmlands by birth, a wife by commitment, a mother by adoption, a stepmother by marriage, a grandmother by blessing, a Christian by grace, a pioneer of the organizing industry by vision, a productivity expert by trial and error, a best-selling author by acclaim, a leadership accelerator by inspiration. Barbara Hemphill is the vision accelerator. Her passion is helping others to create healthier homes, more productive workplaces, and a more compassionate world. She's appeared frequently in the media, including Good Morning America, The Today Show, The Home Shopping Network, the CNN Nightly News, Guideposts, Reader's Digest, Real Simple, Fast Company, and she was on the cover of Guideposts. In a moment, you will understand why she was nominated as one of the top 20 formidable women nationwide and 100 women to know in America. Please give a warm welcome as I bring on Barbara Hemphill. There's a real treat for you today. Our guest today is Barbara Hemphill, and I am introducing her as a change because she usually introduces me on all of my podcasts. She has affected me and my life for well over 20 years, and I am just so excited to share her with my guests. Barbara, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Chris. It's always fun when we have a conversation. We always end up take, talking about just so many interesting things, particularly as it relates to our spiritual walk. And, you know, that's an important topic. So right. I'm looking forward to it. We have had a God connection from the beginning, and this is the perfect place to be able to have you share what you do. You've always had that God connection, but not all of your clients have, have known about that part of you. And this is the forum where we really get to talk about that. So tell us about the God connection with clutter. Well, um, it's interesting. The business started because I lived in India with my first husband and we adopted three orphan children, one of whom had special needs. And we moved back to the United States and we went to New York City and my husband worked for a nonprofit and didn't make enough money to uh, pay for living expenses in New York. So I wanted to add to our income, but I wanted my children to be first. So I decided the way to do that would be to find a problem in the world that I could solve that people would pay me for. And I actually, we were members of Riverside Church in New York City. And uh, William Sloan Coffin was the pastor there at the time. And I went to a course that was called um, something about finding your life's purpose. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember that it met all day Saturday and four Wednesday nights and all day Saturday. And it was like, I was trying to figure out, you know, what to do. And someone said to me, um, I would describe the things that I did because this course was about what have you done in your life that you that brought you joy or that you liked or that made you feel good. And um, I mentioned that at one point that my aunt and uncle were missionaries in Africa 
And whenever they would come home on sabbatical, they had five children. And whenever they come home, I'd always help them organize their house. And then when I was in college, I was an au pair for a very wealthy family in Kansas City. And uh, she had taken cooking classes in Paris. And I was always organizing them things. And I just, everywhere I went, and when I was a child, um, people love to have me babysit because when the children would go to sleep, I'd organize the house because I couldn't stand to be sitting around and, and see it disorganized. And so they'd come back and I'd organize their house. So I never had trouble getting babysitting jobs. I can imagine. What a bonus. <laughs> yeah. At that point, I didn't know what God was up to, really. Um, but now I know that um, it really started with my grandfather. We I grew up in a, a farmhouse, second floor of a tenant farmhouse. Uh, my grandparents lived in the first floor. We lived up on the second floor. And my grandfather used to say he heard from God. And it's like, wow, you know, I want to hear from God. And we would have revival meetings every summer and every fall. There would be a week long, every night we would go to revival meetings and there would be an altar call. And I would pray and cry my eyes out and say, God, please speak to me the way you speak to granddad. And actually at age 11, I tried to commit suicide. I, I went to a one room country school with nine grades and one teacher and I was bullied. And I was just miserable. I mean, I couldn't hear from God and I didn't have any friends. And at age 11, I just decided life wasn't worth living. And fortunately, my brother, six years younger than I, found me. And I would put a dry cleaning bag over my head and he found me and stopped it. So uh, that was a, a beginning in my life. And then uh, I decided that with God, basically, it's like, okay, that was a struggle I married a man who was in going to seminary. It's like, okay, if I can't be God close to God, maybe if I marry somebody close to God, maybe that will help. <laughs> so we were married for 14 years and then he divorced me. And I was devastated because it's like, okay, if this man of God whom I adored uh, doesn't think I'm worth having, then I must... I mean, at that point, I didn't know what the unforgivable sin was, but I thought I must have committed it. And I was just miserable. I had just started my organizing business at that point. And I didn't talk about God because I was pretty distant from God at that point. But I did. I didn't talk about God. I didn't talk about God. I knew God was loving. I was afraid to mention his name because I couldn't, I didn't want to offend anybody. A lot of my clients were Jewish, for example, or even Muslim. And, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to offend anybody because my grandfather offended a lot of people the way he talked. And so I didn't want to do that, but I would pray, God, help me to show the love of Jesus, whether I ever say his name, because I knew Jesus was loving. I didn't understand exactly why I was so distant, but I, I knew that was true. So that was really how the walk really started. And then I kept seeking and seeking and seeking. That's a whole book in and of itself. Um, is but, that a book you've written or is that one you're still going to write? Uh, no, I haven't written that one. I've, I've alluded to it a few times, but I've never really, never really written it. We'll be, we'll see whether that one comes yes, out. We will. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But I began to realize in organizing, I started with closets and cupboards and kitchens, but I quickly learned that paper was the number one organizing challenge. It was the one that was the hardest for people to deal with. It was the one they procrastinated on the most and waited the the longest to do. And they would move boxes of paper from one house to another, you know, because they didn't want to go through it and all of that. And I began to realize it was because it wasn't, it was the paper. It was what the paper represented. Paper represented their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their intentions. Um, and I also began to realize that when people would talk about their paper, it was always connected to emotion in some way. And that when people were afraid to let go of something, and this was true of things in the closet and everywhere else, if I ask enough questions, I could always discover that there was a severe emotional loss in their life, that there was something that had gone on. And I was actually autographing my Taming the Paper Tiger book at Barnes and Noble in New York City. And I made that statement and a young man in his early 20s came up. And he said, my apartment is full of paper. I haven't had anyone in it for months because I'm so ashamed. And he said, I come home from work at night and I say, okay, tonight's the night. I'm going to clean this up. And he said, I pick up the pieces of paper and my body, I'm literally become paralyzed. And then he stopped and there, I just waited. I didn't know what he was going to say next. He said, my mother died when I was six. He said, are you telling me that I have to deal with the emotion of losing my mother before I can handle my paper. I said, well, I'm not a health professional, so I can't answer that, but I can tell you what I know from experience. And that is, if you find someone that you trust, most likely it will not be a family member, but someone that, you, that can help you decide and decide is a key word in here. My whole business for 46 years has been based on clutter is postponed decisions. And so if you can help, have someone help you decide what you need and want to keep, not what somebody else thinks you need to, but what you do, because it is an art, it's not a science. You will solve your paper problem, I can assure you. And I think it will help the emotions about your mother as well. Well, I was speaking at a university with a large group of professional women and a woman walked up to me afterwards and she said, well, you just saved my marriage. <laughs> I said, wow, <laughs> that's pretty dramatic. Can you elaborate? And she said, I came to this conference with the intention of going home and telling my husband to whom I've been married for 13 years that I was leaving because he's a pack rat and I have allergies and I can't keep the house clean and I'm, I'm just at my wits ends. And then she stopped and literally the tears started coming down her eyes. And she said, I never realized until I heard you talk that it wasn't that he wouldn't get rid of it, but that he couldn't get rid of it. His mother died when he was seven. Mm -hmm. And I said, may I make a suggestion? And she said, yes. And I said, go home and say something to the effect of, I never understood before how important all this is to you. Let's see if we can figure out a way that you can keep it and we can still live together. 
And I followed up with them for about eight months and they made massive project progress. It takes a long time, of course, because it had taken 13 years, well, more than 13 years. It had taken, I know he was in his fifties, I think at that point, it had taken 50 years to get to that point, but they made massive progress because the more we tell someone else to get rid of it, the more they hang on. It has exactly the opposite. In fact, I, I joke, I wrote a book called Less Clutter, More Life. And the premise is, that physical and digital clutter is a symptom of emotional and spiritual clutter. And I can't tell you how many copies of that book I have not sold because somebody will come up and say, I'm buying this for my wife or I'm buying this for my husband. And I won't sell it to her <laughs> because I'll say it won't solve the problem. It will actually exacerbate the problem because it's another way of your saying you're not okay. And it will have the reverse, uh, you know, the reverse effect. But that's how I got into this emotional side. But then the spiritual side, I began to realize that the emotions that we have, the only way we can, quote, cure them is from God. I mean, it's only God who can help us cure those emotions that say, I'm dumb, I'm too old, I can't do that, that'll never work. All those negative things that we tell, that we tell ourselves. And the lies, uh, so, the lies that we tell ourselves that we yeah. need to find out what is the truth. And I think the Holy Spirit is the easiest way to find out what the truth is once you start to uncover those lies. Oh, that is, that is so absolutely true. One of the questions that we have our clients ask when they're deciding whether to keep something or not is to ask the question, does this, whatever this is, whether it's something physical or, or even an idea in your head, does this help me accomplish my work or enjoy my life? And if the answer is no, then by if something doesn't help you accomplish your work or enjoy life, by definition, it's a clutter and I don't think you can afford it. But I had a new thought today and it's one of the reasons that I just love what I do because new things come and I hadn't really thought of this before. So I've heard this saying, and I, I might have even heard it from you, Chris, I'm not sure, where everything that we do or say either brings people closer to Jesus or farther away. Ooh, that's a pretty heavy responsibility. <laughs> and well, but if you think about it, <laughs> yeah, if you think about it, it is. Well, I got to thinking about it. Another way to ask that question is, is this item that I'm agonizing over? Is it bringing me closer to Jesus or is it taking me farther away? Well, actually that I decided that the best preparation for this podcast today would be for me to do some difficult decluttering last night. <laughs> oh, good for you. <laughs> so I went to my jewelry. Now that's always a hard one because, you know, you find a pair of earrings, you haven't worn them in years but they were valuable at one point and they're so little that if you put them in into your little bag of stuff that you're taking to goodbye clothes or the thrift shop, you know, they'll get lost, they'll get separated. You have to do work to even donate them properly. Um, but also a lot of jewelry has been given as gifts and some of it, I mean, I came across a pair of earrings I haven't worn in a really long time but they were from somebody very, very special who I don't see because she lives in another country. 
But I thought, yeah, and I don't wear them and I won't wear them. And they're all tarnished, but somebody could clean them up and be really blessed by them. But I went through this whole thing with piece after piece. And so it took me kind of a long time. But I now opened, I opened up the um, cabinet this morning to decide what to put on. And there weren't very many things left to choose from. It made it so much easier. And that's part of the thing is we're not distracted by the stuff that we're, that we're getting rid of. Well, it's interesting you chose that as an example, because when I was writing Less Clutter, More Life, I wrote it with Louise Boignet, who is the photographer. They're beautiful, beautiful photographs in the book. And she struggles with organization. I mean, that's the re- one of the reasons she was attracted to me in the first place is because of that. And we've become really dear friends. But as we were writing the book, she had never been a client of mine. And I said to her, you know, Louise, it's really doesn't, it doesn't seem authentic for you to be writing this book if you haven't ever experienced, I mean, she's not doing the writing. She did the photographs and I did the words, but it's like, you've never really experienced what it's like to be my client. And I think you should. So she took on the challenge and she chose her jewelry drawer. <laughs> and there's actually a little vignette in it about, about going through it and all of the, the things. And that was 2014. And we were just on a podcast recently. And she said, and I want you to know my jewelry drawer is still perfectly organized. And I love it because she said, I see it every single morning. So that brings up something that's, I think, very significant. You know, a lot of times people are afraid to hire anyone to help them organize because they think what will happen is they'll tell them to get rid of everything. But that's not it. I mean, first of all, I would never say that to a client. I would say if it were mine, I would do such and such. But I would never say you should throw that away because that's not that's not my right to do that. But there's something that we call, my company that I formed is called Productive Environment Institute. And we have something that we call the cost factor. And that is you can keep everything you want if you're willing to pay the price, which is time, space, money, and energy. So there isn't a right or wrong. There literally isn't. In fact, uh, probably 30 years ago, I had a client who was in the public relations business in Atlanta, Georgia. And we have a, that was back when everything was paper records still. So there were lots of paper files. And we have a filing system. We call it a finding system. And she had 35,000 paper files. And it took an entire room and it took two people to keep was this it, a company or an individual? A company. Yeah, it was a company. It was a public relations, a co- public relations company. It was way more. I mean, from a from a business standpoint, there was no way that that it was necessary to keep that anything, you know, in that. But she needed it emotionally, and she was willing to pay the price. And she had. The other thing is what we call Hemphill's principle is if you don't know you have it or you can't find it, it's of no value. So she could find it. She was paying a big price for it, but she could find it and she liked it. The other thing we talk about a lot are systems and we use the acronym systems, saving you space, time, energy, and money. 
And when you're talking about the jewelry, like you mentioned that having this pair of earrings that were, that was beautiful, that was somebody you really cared about, but you really weren't wearing it. And you, yes, you can donate it. You literally could, I'm not saying you should, but I'm saying I'm, what I'm trying to show here is the art of organizing. Like there's so many ways. So I've had situations of where people rotated their jewelry. They literally organized the jewelry that they were, that they kept all the time. And then they had other jewelry that they, they would take in and out as it sort of like my kids, when my kids were little, we lived in a very small place. And when they would get gifts at Christmas time, you know how it is with kids. Sometimes they play with the boxes more than they play with the toys. And I would, when the clutter would get a whole lot, I would pick up the toys that they weren't playing with and I would put them in storage. And then three months later, I'd bring them out. And it's like, oh, look. And so instead of being clutter for three months, three months later, they had, you know, they had new toys. Well, it's kind of the same you could do with your jewelry. So I'm really into helping people figure out what they want to do. That's the, that's the joy of it. And, and the reason for that, the way it connects, I think, with the Holy Spirit is we are commanded to be joyful. <laughs> and when we are surrounded by clutter, whatever that clutter is, if it's the drawer in the kitchen with all the gadgets and the watermelon peel thing that you haven't used in 20 years, you know, that's not, if it isn't bringing us joy, then we're not being godly the way we should be. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, was uh, reading something that you wrote and you mentioned different kinds of clutter and I was astonished <laughs> and I've worked with you for so many years. I've moved papers from place to place and you've helped me get organized in different homes, but we've all, you've also taught me your system, your vision system and things like that. So I've learned so much from you, but one thing I had never thought of was that and I learned last year about my to-do list being clutter. I learned um, about unfinished projects being clutter. But this morning I read years of journals. Ooh, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things, there are no rights or wrongs. I know. I mean, there's, there's never <laughs> rights or wrongs. So one of the ways to look at it is, what does what does it do for you you know when you look at them does it bring you joy or does it inspire you or whatever but if on the other hand you look at it and you feel guilty or sad or depressed then it's kind of a different thing I will tell you something again that I learned just in the last year from one of my uh, business coaches and he said he journals every day and he's been doing it for decades but one day out of every week, he says that 20% of the time that your journal time should be spent reviewing what you've already written. And I, through the years, have not done a good job of that at all. And there was a period when after I was divorced, that was devastating to me. And I had all those journals from that time. And several years after the divorce was over, I threw them all away because it brought me so, it was so painful to look at that. And I just thought, I don't, I don't want to be surrounded by that pain. So I got rid of those. I have a lot of them now. My journals are, I mean, if somebody looked at them, it looks like a mad woman wrote them because they're, you can't read the writing very much. And 
but I like them and I do go back through them periodically and, you know, get ideas. So I think it's really just a matter of uh, do they draw you closer to God or farther away? But it's interesting. I, I, uh, when I was writing at your suggestion uh, to leave my legacy and write a book, I started looking based on the timing for certain stories that I knew what year they'd happened. So I could go and I could find the journal because they have the year written on the spine. So I could find them and um, I had to <laughs> narrow it down to the month as well because I write a lot. But I was able to find certain things. But I also last year changed my journaling and I now do it on an iPad because I can type with my eyes closed and that touch typing, you know, we learned in ninth grade really comes to yeah. good use. So I can have my eyes closed and be in a prayerful mode and be typing. And yeah, there's some typos, but I can still tell what it says. But the great thing about them is then I store them digitally and I can search by a word and I can find everything I have about, say, fruitfulness um, with a quick search. Um, it's really, it's really great. So well, isn't that an example of how, you know, we talk about technology. I mean, technology brought us some of the worst things in the world. I mean, some of the worst things we're dealing with now is technology. But on the other hand, look at that. I mean, you and I wouldn't be having this interview if it weren't for technology. And it's certainly true that in terms of research, it's made all the difference in the world. But once again, now with the uh, with the introduction of artificial intelligence, it's like, oh, wow, that's opening up a whole new thing. So we just always have to be in touch with the Holy Spirit to make sure that we're doing what we're what we're called to do. But it, it also was a freeing thought for me to think that the older ones that I have, which are in huge, you know, container store, large boxes all along one side of the garage. That space emptied out would be a lot better. I think it would be freeing. So I'm I'm actually considering it seems like that might work. I'm glad you're considering it because I think, oh, I, I something else I learned from a client, which was interesting. I've always known that uh, letting go of things was related to emotion. And I had a client who was having a great deal of difficulty letting go of some things. And I said to him, you know, first of all, I always tell people, if we do a big clean out, we do clutter clearing in companies even. And when we do this, I always tell everybody, I guarantee you that there will be something, it'll probably be true of your jewelry, Chris. There'll probably be something that you got rid of the jewelry and next week or five years from now, you say, oh, I wish I had kept that. But you have to remember what the price was you were paying for keeping that. And there's also a good chance that if you hadn't done the decluttering, you wouldn't have even remembered you had it or you couldn't have found it. So I always warn people that way. But I said to this client, to the client, no one in 40 plus years who's gotten rid of clutter has ever come back to me and said, I'm sorry I did this. And believe you me, when I first started in this business, because there was nobody else that ever done it. So I didn't, I was just making it up as I went along. I literally used to lay awake nights thinking somebody's going to come back and say, I got rid of this and something terrible happened. And the closest it ever happened to is I did a large association in Washington, DC. 
And one of the employees was a real pack rat. And his boss said he had eked out of his office over into a, a boardroom next to his office. And the boss had told him, you have to clean the stuff out of the boardroom. Well, he was not very happy about it at all, but we had he had to do it anyway. And about six weeks after the project, I went back just to check on things. And I get off the elevator. I wasn't six feet down the hall. And here comes George, who was the, the pack rep. I said, hi, George, how are you? He said, well, I knew it. I said, I'm thinking, oh my gosh. He said, I just knew it. He said, four days after you left, Carolyn from up on the seventh floor comes down and says, George, do you have such and such? And I said, no, I don't have it because Hemphill was here and we threw it away. And I literally, I was new in the business. I mean, my stomach's in knots, my palms are sweaty. I'm thinking, okay, this is the end of my career because they're going to say that there was some. And he looked at me and he got kind of a cat-like grin and he says, <laughs> not a thing <laughs> because what often happens interestingly enough in fact I just had that discussion with a client today is that we keep things for other people and I've often joked that the word archives should actually be spelled o-u-r-chives because it's really <laughs> supposed to be our not yours but lots of times it's and the client I was talking today was saving something for her husband. Her husband didn't want it saved, but she was saving it because she thought he should. And that was the way, that is the way it is in a company too. Somebody say, oh, I don't need to keep this because we know that Anne is a pack rat and she has everything. And so, you know, we create pack rats when we behave that way. That's amazing. So um, your, your last published book, this love it or lose it. What, um, is is love it or lose it just the same as the is the same question or because it's kind of funny you were in this industry way before Marie Kondo so right. it's not about whether it sparks joy or not you yeah know? one of my clients said I have a toilet brush and it doesn't spark joy but I'm gonna keep it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um love it or lose it does that apply? Is it really, is that really the question or is that just, well, a book title? I, you know, I think that's a book title. I mean, it was, it's, <laughs> it's a book title designed to grab people's attention really. Cause I think there are certainly practical things in our lives that we don't love except they do. So if you go back to the, the original question I brought is, does it help you accomplish your work? Yes. Well, if something helps me accomplish, my work such as cleaning the toilet then yeah I do love it because I love a clean toilet yeah <laughs> so yeah. you know if you put it that way but it's really I'm not saying uh and interestingly enough Marie Kondo now has taken a lot of grief because she now has kind of backed away uh from that concept and and is being less perfectionistic about it and I wanted to go just give her a hug because she's taken a lot of grief uh and I think it was a lot of the media twisting it because it made it a more interesting story when what she was really saying is when she wrote the first book, she was single and now she's got two small kids. And so <laughs> that brings up one of the other things about um, in, in Love It or Lose It, we talk, talk about situational disorganization. So if somebody has two toddlers, I mean, you're going to have disorganization. I mean, they, they just... They just come together. And so the real question is what kind of clutter is it? And the, one of our principles is to control the things you can 
so you can cope with the things you can. And that brings up something very interesting too, is when you live with someone, God has a sense of humor, you know, in most marriages, in my experience, one is a keeper and one is a tosser. That's just kind of the way it is. Or one keeps certain kinds of things and the other one keeps different kinds of things. And well, that's true too. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's how it is in my house. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely. That's absolutely true. Well, when I got married to my second husband, we married 36 years now and he's a retired army colonel. Well, I kind of assumed that an army colonel would be organized. Well, army colonels have privates. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we were first married, I thought, oh, this is going to be the death of my business because I cannot keep this man organized. And then I thought, wait, he's not my client, you know? And I've always said, I'm not in the business of convincing anybody to get organized. I'm just looking for people who say, where have you been all my life? Because I've struggled with this my whole life. So I had to make compromises. And I decided that my marriage was far more important than having a perfectly organized house. Um, and so we have zones in the house. And when you come to the house, it's very easy to see whose zones are whose. And we just had a disagreement the other day because on one half of the counter is his and one half is mine. And on my half, there's usually a salt and pepper shaker, but it's not particularly pretty. And I, I had put it up in the cupboard and he says, where's the salt and pepper shaker? And I said, well, I put it up because it wasn't, you know, I didn't like it. It looked cluttered. And, and he said, how can a salt and pepper shaker be cluttered? And I said, well, it's like, I can only handle so much clutter. And so one of the things I've learned is that when I'm feeling frustrated about his clutter, the best solution is for me to go find something of my own and deal with it. It works every time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there are certain personality types that can deal with frustration or all sorts of emotional things by tidying up. Yeah. Decluttering. Well, and that's what, that was what Marie's yeah. book was, The Magic of Tidying Up. And that was, that, that was actually the point that she was trying to make. And it's like, I have a, I'm not naturally organized. I'm a musician. I've been diagnosed with ADHD. I love the big picture. I hate details. I love to start things and I don't like to finish things. So I am not a naturally organized person in any way whatsoever, but I can only tolerate so much. And one of the things we teach clients is to identify how much clutter you can deal with. In my case, it's one week. So if you come into my house or my office on a Thursday, you might look around and say, and they pay you money for organizing because it's not a pretty thing because I start things and my desk is all covered. But Friday is like everything. So the old adage of a place for everything and everything in its place is half right. There has to be a place for everything. Clutter isn't the problem. The problem is when you can't recover from the clutter. And if you have a place, then you can always recover. The problem is when you don't have a place and you stuff and then you forget it and then you buy more and now you have three and you can't find any of them and it just gets out of hand. So on Friday is cleanup day and my... My rule is I have to be able to do it in 30 minutes. Everything has to be back in its place in 30 minutes. Home, 30 minutes, and office, 30 minutes. If it takes longer than 30 minutes, then I know there's an issue I need to deal with. That It means that I've procrastinated about something or I'm keeping too many things or I've made something. 
harder than it needs to be. Well, I told that story to one of my clients. He was a male who has whose wife had delegated him to the basement office because she hated his clutter so much. And he hated it down there. And he said, that gives me an idea. He said, I hate to clean up clutter. But he said, if I would do it first thing in the morning, then I could do it in like two minutes and I'd be done. And it was like Brian Tracy wrote a book called Eat That Frog, which was about doing the toughest thing first. And then yeah. now, of course, as a as a Christian, I want to spend my time with God first. So I'm not saying clean up the clutter before that. But that was what he came. It's like, okay, so his level of clutter was one day and the time to pick it up was five minutes. My level of clutter is one week and the time is 30 minutes. And it's very helpful. You can't change what you don't measure. And this gives you a way to measure what your clutter is costing you in time. Well, that's that's a good one because I, I don't have a specific day for that. But I have noticed if I'm in the middle of a project and I'm getting stuck on the project, if I just clean my office, I get a fresh start. Yeah. So maybe I'll have to pick a day and do it that way. There well, Barbara, have been times when you would find me in the in the garage at three o'clock in the morning. If I can't sleep, if my mind is just twirling and I'm worried or whatever else, if I just go out and organize the garage, which always needs to be organized because my husband does a lot of things in there. <laughs> and if I go out and organize, I feel better. Just that, it's just true. Well, my husband's out of town this week. And with him out of town, you know, I miss him. But what am I going to do? I'm going to do a lot of uh, stuff <laughs> that he doesn't have to see going into the trash. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I understand completely. Well, Barbara, we could talk about a million more things. I would love, and we've gone longer than usual, but you're a fascinating guest and I hope people will stay on a little bit longer. I'd like you to just say a little something about the the um, legacy part of what you do. Well, I have spent decades with clients agonizing over what to do with the China the crystal, the silverware, the jewelry, even the 401k or even the property. And one day, as you and I talked about, and you're very much involved in my moving in this direction saying, all that is physical. It's all temporary. It's all going away. In the scheme of things, in God's world, it doesn't really matter. So it isn't really a legacy. And also our culture now is we we are in a clutter crisis because our generation saved things for our children and our grandchildren who want nothing to do with it so many people now are in an emotional crisis as well as a clutter crisis because it's like oh what i thought was going to be my legacy suddenly is not valuable so that brings up what is a legacy and what is a legacy often is your story. And everybody has a story. And just yesterday, my neighbor was having some of her friends over and we were sitting at the pool talking and somebody had said to this woman, you should write a book and you're, you live such an interesting life. And she said, who would be interested in my story? And I said, stories are universal. There is no story that anyone has to tell that wouldn't be of interest to somebody, to somebody else. And, but another way, maybe it isn't a story, another way, and I love this, one of my coaches um, tells her clients 
to ask when you pass away, what are three words you would like to be remembered for? And then live your life so those words will be true. That is that is another form of legacy. So thinking of, so my, the service I offer now in laser coaching is called Vision Accelerator. And it's looking at your life and seeing what are the, what things could you do? How could you live or what could you create that would be something that would live after you were gone? And one final thing I want to say is that a question, this is a very deep question. I'm just going to end it with this because I think it really gives listeners something to think about. If you were to leave this earth tonight, what regret would you have or regrets? The answer to that question is a form of clutter. And I would invite you to say, and one of the things we do in Vision Accelerator is how do we address that problem? What is that problem and what can we do about it? And one of the ways we always move forward is by asking, what is the next action? Never mind that we don't know what the long term is. We don't know how long it's going to take. It may seem like a huge project, but the, the word tells us, do not worry about tomorrow. Just take care of today. So say, what can I do today, this very day about that issue? And you will be going a long ways to eliminating the most important clutter in your life. Well, I'd like to close then with a testimony, uh, both to you and to the Holy Spirit, because when you and I did the vision acceleration work together, it really, really blessed me. It blessed my husband. It's blessed our kids. So much has changed since then. And that was a year, a little over a year ago. Um, but you really got me to hone in on what was missing, what did, what did I want that I was doing nothing about? And um, and I've also, as you know, <laughs> written books since then. It's not yet published, but will be soon. And uh, But also, I just want to give a testimony to the fact that that's the kind of question that your questioning and your accountability and you know, what would you put in place with your program really, really made a huge difference. But the Holy Spirit also makes a giant difference because once you get these questions, even the, what can I do today? What is my next action? Who better to answer that than to take it to the Holy Spirit? So Amen. <laughs> I just want to thank the Lord for you and for the important work that you have done and continue to do in all these different ways that it goes out because it's so multifaceted. Thank you, Barbara, for being here today. Oh, thank you, Chris. No, it was my joy. I just love you. I want to give you a hug and <laughs> that through Zoom, but um, thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. It was just a joy. Thank you for listening to Christine's Radiant Joy podcast. Please visit radiantjoy.us to subscribe to her monthly Radiant Joy newsletter to be notified when her next book is released or to set up an appointment to speak with Christine about Unbound Ministry. And please pass this along to others who might enjoy it.